Hi, welcome to Day Message. My name is Dai Qing Yuan, pastor of Abilene Bible Church in Abilene, Texas. D A Y Day is my name initial, and daylight has come since Jesus Christ is the light of the world. We are here to share with you the truth of the Bible. History and theology, so that you might have eternal life as well as a wise life here and now. God bless. The reason I want to sing first is because to study the Word of God, you have to first love the Word of God. And you know, today we are continuing our series on the biblical guided Christian life. It's titled "I Christian." We're in the middle later part. It's called "I Study." And uh, today we are going to be studying um, about the Word of God based on Psalm 119, and we're going to intermix a lot from the Gospel of John. We know that Psalm 119 is an acrostic psalm. Uh, you know, acrostic. The word acrostic means it starts each uh, each line from the same letter, uh, same Hebrew letter in each section. The psalm has twenty-two sections, and each section starts from the same letter. So it has each section has eight verses, and each verse has two lines. So totally sixteen verses in each section all start from the same letter. Well, that's not easy, right? <laughs> You have to really carefully design, uh, you know, choose your words. And uh, these twenty-two sections, uh, their letters vary, uh, and uh, the they they correspond to the twenty-two、uh, letters in the Hebrew alphabet. You know, English has twenty-six, Hebrew only has twenty-two、uh, letters in their alphabet.、Uh, and also, this、um, this psalm used. Eight words. How do you say eight in English? I don't know. That's Chinese. But <laughs>、uh, use eight words、uh, that represents the word of God, and、uh, it disperses the eight words in each of the eight verses、uh, of each section. You see how carefully it's designed. I mean, it's very, very well.、Uh, Design. It's very artistic. It's very hard to write, right?、Uh, it's just、uh, such a artistic work, and uh, that actually uh, defined a lot of things of how to interpret it.、Um, these eight words, Hebrew words, that represents the scripture are Torah, which we all know that represents the law, and、uh, Eidot. It's translated as testimony, Pikudim,、uh, precept. Uh, mitzvot, commandments or commands,、uh, mishpatim, judgment or ordinance, chukim,、uh, uh, which means statute or decree, dabar, which means word, or sometimes translated as promise, and imra, mostly promise and sometimes word. So basically, these eight words、um, represent the word of God.、Uh, each have its A、uh, special connotation. 
But here, together, they are used almost interchangeably in this psalm to represent the word of God given to man. And uh, the author of the psalm is unknown. You know, biblical, biblical authors are usually very, very uh, humble. They, they don't want us to know. So very few times they, they sign their names. And it's therefore by their, descent, their um, students, disciples, that we have the tradition. Usually we know who they are. Actually, there are two traditions about who wrote this. One is Jeremiah. You know, Jeremiah wrote one acrostic psalm. He, uh, he wrote Lamentations. It's called the Lamentation of Jeremiah, right? And Lamentation is acrostic. It, it, it has the same letter, you know, from each section. It's very artistic. And uh, Jeremiah lived around the time of the, the third captivity, around 586 B.C. He was taken away to Egypt at that time. And another tradition says it is uh, written by Ezra. Now, Ezra uh, is um, a scribe. If Jeremiah is a prophet, Israel is a scribe. And Israel led the second return from Babylon in the year 458 B.C. So uh, in my understanding, by reading through uh, this, I feel this is more likely written by a scribe than a prophet uh, because it doesn't have really uh, much new things revealed. It's mostly summarizing existent uh, revelations. And also the scribe, you know, personality-wise is different with the prophet. Prophet tend to be uh, more brazen, more, uh, you know, do- just um, fact to fact. I just tell you so. And uh, he is more free. And, uh, um, but on the other hand, Jeremiah did write a, an acrostic uh, book. Um, but this is more, I just feel it's more like scribe. So I, I tend to identify more with Israel. And Israel, uh, on the other hand, is the one who summarizes the whole Old Testament. He basically is the general editor of the, uh, the Old Testament. Okay? All of the books until Israel's time were separated. There was a Torah, which is a whole body, and there was a, uh, two bodies of, uh, or several bodies of prophets. There is something called the, the former prophets, which today we call the histories. You know, the former prophets include Joshua, Judges, Kings, and Chronicle. Uh, yeah, no, um, Samuel and Kings. So those we call history today. But the Hebrew people think they were former prophets. And then the later prophets, they have three major prophets, Isaiah, uh, Jeremiah, and uh, uh, Ezekiel, and then a book called the Twelve. The Twelve Minor Prophets are one. Okay? And, uh, and then there is another body it's called the Writings. And the Writings, again, is uh, composed of three parts. One part is po- called Poetry, that have Psalms, uh, Job, and Proverbs. And one part is called the Five Small Books, Five Rolls. <laughs> and the five small books are to be read on the, five, on the days of the fi- of five festivals, so they are one body, and then finally what they call uh, history, and that includes the Israel, uh, Nehemiah, and Daniel, and because Daniel is half prof- prophetic, half history, okay, and then uh, f- the final book of the Hebrew Bible is the uh, Chronicles, 
and because it summarizes all the good part of the kings. You see, the Chronicles omits all the bad parts. It only remembers the good part. If you read the Chronicles, you know, David and Solomon will be the holiest of all saints <laughs> because they try to remind people of what glories Israel used to have. And then it serves as a, a comfort and the hope of what future Israel will have. Okay, so that's different purpose than kings. The kings is written as the reason for judgment. So that's why it has a lot of the bad part. Okay, uh, Ezra was the, the summarizer, the, the final editor. He is most likely the, the author of the uh, Chronicles. Which I'm pretty sure he is the author of the Chronicles, uh, and uh, um, that summarizes all the Old Testament. So Israel is very important. Okay, and when you live at a time of exile and return, the Israelites they lost their uh, for a while. They lost their land. They later they regained their land, but didn't gain their sovereignty. They didn't have a nation. They didn't have a government of their own. They lived under foreign Gentile rule for thousands of years later. Okay. And if you are in that stage, what do you have? You don't have something that you treasure, right? Do you treasure your, the independence and sovereignty of your nation? Do you treasure it? Do you treasure your freedom? Do you treasure that you... What uh, you can live under a, a, you know, a, a reasonable government that's not oppressing you, right? If you treasure all those, they didn't have it. They lost it. So what do they have? They have the word of God, which gives them promises that the glory of Israel will be restored. As people repent, as they turn around from their evil ways and go back to God, God will fulfill his promise because he said to the ancestors, to the forefather of Israelites, I will give this land to you forever. I will give a nation to you forever. And you are forever my people. And I will give you blessings and you will be blessings to all nations. These promises are meant to be true. And if they have not been totally fulfilled, they will be in the future. And that's why the word of God became so important to the people who came back from exile. Because that's all they have. It's the promise. That's their treasure. That's their hope for the future. Okay. And uh, the theme of Psalm 119 is that the word of God is the only sure guidance for believers to live godly and blessed life in a corrupt and hostile world. The world is hostile. To believers, the world is corrupted from sin, but we can still live a godly life and a blessed life if we follow the word of God. Not only believe, but also take it as a guidance for our practical life. Okay, not just believe and then leave God in the church building and then we go to live our life. No, we have to take God everywhere we go. Okay, to work, to home. And to the, to the playground, you know, anywhere. And, and if you go into the uh, tavern, okay, you have to take him too. Maybe you won't go then. <laughs> so, okay, that's what this, the, the psalm is for. To interpret this psalm, it needs to pay attention to, to the format, to the way it was written. 
Okay, because this psalm is written with such an elaborate format. Remember, beginning with the, with the same letter for the first word of each section on every line, and then twenty seven, twenty two sections each with different letter, and also eight words about the word of God are dispersed in the eight verses, one in each. Well, that's very hard, isn't it? Actually, the the author could not use, really use. All eight. In some places, they used all eight. In some places, he just used six. But even that is very hard, isn't it? Because it's such a elaborate design, it is very hard to write with a context. So basically, he is just putting out whatever word he could use. You see. Uh, therefore, when you interpret this psalm, uh, it is not like in other places. When we re- you know, interpret the Bible. Generally speaking, we want you to read by context, right? And the local context nearby is more important than, even than the bigger context, okay? A word, how is it used in the nearby, you know, context? Uh, it usually is what it meant in this verse, right? And uh, in the bigger context, how it was used throughout the Bible is an other reference, okay? The closer, the import, more important, Okay, that's how you read by context. However, for this <laughs> psalm, it's very hard to write something continuous with a context. So basically, you can study this from a thematic point of view. That's the best way of studying this. Okay? Because the, the author just scatters his ideas throughout this whole psalm. And uh, there are what I call golden verses. They're just wonderful, uh, well-sounding sentences. They are scattered all around. And uh, uh, if you want the same theme, uh, you cannot get it by context. You have to just pick them up from everywhere and put them together. This is how we will study this psalm, thematic study. And the theme, the first theme of this psalm is about the nature of the Word of God, that the Word of God is eternal. Verse 89 to 91 says, Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Your faithfulness continues throughout all generations. You establish the earth and it stands. They stand this day according to your ordinances, for all things are your servants. You see, when was the word of God settled? Where? It's in heaven. When? In the eternity past. Okay. So before there was time. There was the word of God. Okay? It is eternal. And uh, how long does it last? It is faithful throughout all generations. So from the beginning of time till the end of time. Okay? Throughout all generations, the word of God is meant to be true. Uh, that means whatever is said will be referring to reality. Okay? It will come true. So throughout all generations... It's eternal. And uh, um, the earth, it stands according to your ordinance. The word ordinance is another translation for decree. God decrees. He said so. And then it will be so. For how long? As long as God wills. So that is the word of God. It's eternal. And similarly, we read that from the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. And the word, the word, the word, word, <laughs> uh, the Greek word that's translated into 
English word, quote unquote, uh, is logos. Logos is the root for the word logic. See, logical reasoning, okay, uh, the rational foundation of all the existence is Jesus Christ himself. He is like the mind of God. Okay? In him is all the principles that organize the whole universe. Why is the universe created? For him. And uh, how was it created? By him. Okay? Uh, and uh, uh, for what purpose will, uh, is the world created? Well, so that we may have a bride of Christ that uh, will be generated among mankind. Okay, which will be prepared for the eternal uh, home in on the new he- in the new heaven and earth. It's called the New Jerusalem. So everything is by Christ, for Christ, and of Christ. So that's why he is the rational foundation of all created existence. That's why he is called the Logos. And the Logos is called a word. You know what is a word for? When I say a word, I express myself. Right? And when you hear a word and you understand it, you understand me. Right? See, God sent his word, then he expressed himself in his word, who took on flesh, who became mankind. He took on a body. He was divine. Okay? He, he is um, eternal. The word of God is the second person of the Trinity, and he is eternal. Before there was time, there was the word. However, uh, the word took a flesh. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father. You know, the words express the person. And the, the word of God is truly reflecting the person of God. How do you define truth? You know, how do you define truth? It is a, it is a big concept, hard to define, isn't it? Truth is if you say something is true, then this thing, oh, interesting, this morning when I asked this question, a boy raised up his hand. The most, the bravest are the youngest, okay? A boy raised up his hand and he says, uh, a true thing uh, means there is really something happening. He got it. Yeah, what is true? Something true refers to something real. Okay? The real things are existing. Okay? They are there. And the true things are ideas or words or concepts or sentences that reflect the real thing. Okay? If you say something or think about something that has no correspondence in reality, such as um, unicorn, okay? you can have this idea. The idea is in our minds. Human minds can have true concepts which refer to reality or false concepts that have no correspondence with reality. Have you seen a unicorn? I haven't. (laughs) Probably there isn't any. It exists only as a concept in the mind, but not as a reality. So that concept is not true. It's fanciful. It's not true. The true things always correspond to real things. Since God is the ultimate reality, isn't he? Everything else created, even though they are real, like the world, this thing, you know, me, we are real, but we are real in the secondary sense because we are created. 
and we live in space and time. And by the way, space and time are creatures too. And someday God's going to roll up all of the heaven and earth like an old cloth and burn it. Okay, so it's temporary. So by that time, we will not be that real anymore, right? So what is real in us, really real, is our soul that will exist forever. This tent, this clothing, this body is actually something that can be put on and can be taken off. And our soul will exist in a forever glorified body if we believe in Jesus. So reality, there are levels of reality. Okay? God is the ultimate reality. Okay? So how do you know this ultimate reality? Can you reach up to heaven and sense God? My arm is not that long, right? You know, can you think and reason and, uh, and understand everything about God from what you know? Well, my mind is not that fast. N- neither does it remember everything. Okay? So experience or reason are not the ways to know God. How do you know God? Only if God reveals himself. By what? By his word. Okay. So the word of God is the revelation of God himself. And the only way to know God is by knowing the word of God. Okay. Hearing it, understanding it, and practicing it. And that's how you know the word of God and how you know God. The word of God is true. Your righteousness, verse 142, uh, your righteousness is an everlasting righteousness and your law is true. Okay? Verse 151, you are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are truth. Verse 160, the sum of your word is truth and every one of your righteous ordinances is everlasting. See, altogether, repeatedly, the psalmist said that the word of God is truth. That means whatever it says, it corresponds with the reality, with who God is and what God plans to do. Okay? Some he has already done, some he will do. Okay? And they correspond. That's why if you believe the word, you have faith, then you have hope. Because you know whatever God says, it will come true. Okay? That's where our hope lies. Uh, uh, lies upon. And our hope, Christian hope, is not like the worldly hope, which are just good wishes. You know, I hope you do well. It's good wish. Okay? When we say we have a hope that we will have a resurrection, that is more than good wish. Okay? That's something we firmly believe that will come true because it is based on the word of God, the promises of God. Jesus also said that the word of God is true. So Jesus said uh, in John 8, verse 31, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Well, it's interesting. Uh, right after this, the Jews said, you know, How come we're not free? You know, and uh, so uh, do they believe him? Well, it depends on what standard, what level do they believe in him. Jesus said, if you continue in my word, that is real belief. Okay? If you continue in my word, you will know the truth. Okay? If you continue in Jesus' word, that means you believe him, you believe him and you do what he says. Then you will be given the Holy Spirit 
Once he comes, then we will know the truth. Okay? And the Holy Spirit will reveal all the truth. And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. Jesus claims to be the truth. The truth is the exact representation of the reality. Okay? Whatever God is, that's Jesus is. All the attributes of God, Jesus has the same. Okay? If God is almighty, all-knowing, all-present, so is Jesus. Even though when he was on the earth, he kind of put his power attributes on the hold. He didn't use those. So his power came from the Holy Spirit, and his knowledge came from the Word of God, whatever God the Father inspires him. Okay? Just like us, our knowledge comes from the Father, and our power comes from the Holy Spirit. Okay? And, but he still has those. Those attributes are his. He did not lose his uh, divinity. He just put some of his power on hold so that we can identify with him. Okay? And God is, if God is morally holy, just, and loving, and so is Jesus. He's holy, just, and loving. If God is personal, so is Jesus. Okay? And uh, if God is truthful, so is Jesus. If God is faithful, so is Jesus. You see, Jesus reflects act- accurately God. That's why he says, I am the truth. And when you know the truth, you have read and understood the word sent by God. When you understand the word, you understand the person who said the word. That's how you know God. That's why Jesus is the only way. I am the way. And the way to what? To life. He says, I'm the way to eternal life. Okay. And uh, this is... uh, uh, the nature of the Word of God. It is true because it reflects the ultimate reality of who God is. And another nature of the Word of God is that it is righteous and just. Uh, verse 137 of Psalm 119 said, Righteous are you, O Lord, and upright are your judgments. Verse 138, You have commended your testimonies in righteousness and exceeding faithfulness. In Hebrew, the word righteous and just uh, are actually the same, same words. <laughs> same word. The words righteous and just are actually the same word, shopatim. It came from judgment, the word, or judges, shopatim. And uh, uh, it's, you have to depend on the context to know which translation in English. Righteousness in English refers to whatever is right, okay? not wrong. Okay, so what is right? How do you define what is right? You have to have a standard, right? You have to have an absolute standard. Okay, and what is the absolute standard of right, being right? That's God. God's character, God's personality is right. Okay, God's person. You know, his character is, is right, is righteous. And uh, therefore, his judgment, the actions that he does against the wrongs are just. So justice refers to what you do to the wrong things or wrong persons. Righteousness means adhering or conforming to the absolute standard. Okay? But both of them come from the same Hebrew word, shopatim. Okay? And the word of God is righteous because righteous are you. Because the person, because... God is righteous. Therefore, 
God's judgments are upright, upright which is just. Okay, and God's testimonies are righteous. And uh, Jesus said similarly in John. He said, "O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you, and these have known that you sent me." If God the Father is righteous, then whomever He sent is also righteous, right? Because His Word reflects Himself, right? So therefore, the Word of God, who is Jesus Christ, is also righteous. And uh, um, Jesus also said, "I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of Him who sent me." So when Jesus makes judgments,、uh, his judgments are just. Did Jesus judge something on earth? Okay,、uh, for the, those who believe in him, he forgives. For those who don't believe him, he judges. Okay, but he he leaves the judgment to God the Father to do. But actually, the Word did judge. He's、um, a few things on earth.、Uh, he did say, you know. Satan stand behind me when Peter said the wrong things.、Uh, so whatever his judgment he he makes, he is just because he judges by the will of the one who sent him, who is righteous. And、uh, the next nature of the word of God is that it is good. And、uh, verse thirty nine. <coughs> To forty of Psalm one nineteen said, "Turn away my reproach, which I dread, for your ordinances are good. Behold, I long for your precepts. Revive me through your righteousness. Your ordinances, God's laws, uh, God's uh, statutes, God's、uh, decrees—they are all good. Now, what is good? How do you define good? When I eat a candy, I feel good. Okay, is it good?" Maybe, maybe not. <laughs> um, well, um, what is good for me means it does not harm me. It is for my long-term ultimate benefit. Okay, and uh, uh, so God's laws are meant to help people. God's laws are not meant to hurt people. That's why it is good. Okay, and、uh, verse thirty-eight: You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. The arrogant have forged a lie against me. With all my heart, I will observe your precepts. So God is good, and He does good. Okay, and when evil people harm God's people, God's people can follow God's law in order to、uh, feel the presence of the good God. So, what is good? Again, good is for our benefits, and what defines goodness ultimately is the life of Jesus. Jesus says, "I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He." Flees because he is a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. So, what defines goodness? The ultimate goodness is self-sacrificing 
giving, uh, by giving self for the benefit of others. That defines goodness. And Jesus, by giving his all, he gave us the best example and definition of what goodness is. Okay. So if we want to know the good God, know the good shepherd first. And the next nature of the word of God is that it is wonderful. You know, one, the word wonderful means wonderful, full of wonder. Okay? Something you wonder, that give you wonder is because it surprises you. It gives you things that you could not expect. It's beyond your normal uh, expectation or understanding. And verse 18 of Psalm 18, uh, 119 says, Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law. I am a stranger in the earth. Do not hide your commandments from me. And verse 129 says, Your testimonies are wonderful, therefore my soul observes them. The unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. You see, the word of God is full of wonders because they have basic meanings, they have deeper meanings, they have uh, very, very... um, wide applications that can benefit our life. And when we understand more, we obey more, we actually uh, sense the presence of God more, and we just feel wonderful, okay? Something that's wonderful, that's always beyond our regular expectation. Uh, You know, the Jews interprets the Bible with uh, four levels of meanings. And uh, we Westerners, uh, we actually think according to the Greek way, which is logical, sequential, and uh, it's always, um, you know, one after another, and, and you, you try to be precise all the time. There is something good in being precise, okay? I came from China. The, the language in China is quite vague. You know, sometimes we can have many words describing what, uh, uh, one thing with deep, very different connotations. And English has a lot more words, uh, and therefore it can be more precise. It can be one word just for this, one word just for that. Okay? How, um, however, there is a goodness in being precise, but there is some bad things too. That you lose some of the connections okay, that the shadow of the word that show us. Okay? So that's why you know, we can't um, deny our heritage and our culture uh, totally. However, we need to understand that when we read the Bible, there is a basic meaning which is logical and sequential. And that must be understood because that's the basic. However, there are times when the Bible have deeper sense of meanings. We call spiritual meanings. Whatever level, the Jewish says three more levels, I, I still don't get it. But I do understand somehow, sometimes there are deeper symbolic uh, you know, meanings. And uh, um, that it takes the Holy Spirit to inspire us, to let us suddenly open our eyes and see. And you will say, wow, wonderful. Why I didn't see that before, now I do. Well, why? Because God has shown me and, and God rewarded me for seeking understanding. And those moments come to you as you keep seeking and studying the Word of God. Okay? And uh, uh, the... In Isaiah, uh, actually, a prophecy was given 
For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Almighty God, the Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Sorry, I only remember the the tenor part, uh, but uh, <laughs> that's when it's twenty something years ago. I sent it. I still remember it. <laughs> but, this is in Messiah, you know. Uh, but uh, wonderful counselor actually is a name for Jesus. Okay, he will be what, the one that give us counsel, give us guidance of life, and these are beyond our expectations. When we, uh, you know, like when you are driving a ship in a river, sometimes you will feel like I'm going to run into the mountain, and then suddenly, whoop, there's a turn. Okay, and there's an opening. Okay, the the wonderful counseling came at those moments when you feel like your life is running into a, it's like a boat running into a mountain, and then Jesus gave you a wonderful counsel, and he just suddenly whew, opens a new way. And if you follow him, you will be safe. Okay, so that's how he is. The wonderful counselor has been born. And in John, Jesus said, um, Do not be amazed that I said to you, You must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it's going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Because the Helper, uh, verse 26 says, By the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father uh, will send in my name, he will teach you all things. See, the Holy Spirit because he doesn't have a body to tie him in space and time, he is very fluid. He is unpredictable. He's like the wind that blows. Sometimes you can feel its presence, sometimes you can't. Doesn't mean he's not there. Okay? So the being born again is also something unpredictable. <laughs> sometimes people you feel should be, they are not. Sometimes you feel people that you don't expect, they come to Christ and they become wonderful Christians. So it's unpredictable. Holy Spirit's work is just wonderful. Okay? And that's Christian life also. If you're filled with Holy Spirit, you always sense a certain sense of wonder. Life is never boring when you're filled with the Holy Spirit. And the function, the next theme of the psalm is the function of the, Holy Spirit, of the Word of God. The Word of God saves. Uh, verse 41 of Psalm 119. May your loving kindness also come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your word. Verse 42. So I will have an answer for him who reproaches me, for I trust in your word. How do we have salvation? By trusting in God's word. Okay? When you believe in his word, you have faith. You trust in it, his word. Who is Jesus Christ? You will be saved. Verse 81, my soul languages from your salvation. I wait for your word. My eyes fail with longing for your word while I say, when will you comfort me? See, the word of God, when it comes, it gives us salvation. Before it, we languish in pain and suffering, and we long for his word. But after it comes and we believe, it will comfort us. And Jesus also said that the word of God saves. Jesus told the Samaritan woman, Woman, believe me, 
An hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Your, you worship what you do not know. We worship that we know, what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. Jesus told the Samaritan woman, you don't know who you worship. See, the Samaritans are half Jew, half Gentile. They worshiped God, but mixed him with idols. And therefore, they don't really know God. The reason they worshiped, Jesus, uh, worshiped Yahweh is because they are afraid of the lions in the land. So they are here. They worship God for the doles. They're not knowing the, the, the giver of the dole. Okay? So that's why they don't really know the, uh, the person whom they worship. But the Jews do, because the salvation is from the Jews. Salvation is from a seed of Abraham, a Jewish man, okay, who is Jesus Christ. And uh, it's by him all nations will be blessed. And it's by him all people who believe will have a Holy Spirit, and then we will worship in the truth, who is Jesus, and then in spirit. That's by the Son and by the Spirit. That's how we worship the Father. You see, this is the only way of knowing and being true worshipers of God the Father. So the Word of God saves when uh, we believe in the ones from the Jewish people that saves. The Word of God also guides our life. How can a young man keep his way pure? Verse 9 of 119, by keeping it according to your word. Verse 11, your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. When we read, understand, memorize, and meditate, thus we can hide the word of God in our heart. When we do that, there are times when we are tempted and when we are just about to sin, Spirit of God will let the Word of God jump to our mind, and we will remember that thou shalt not <laughs> do so and so. And then that is a time for us to make a decision. Do we listen? We stop our path and do not sin? Then we get blessed. We have more understanding of the Word of God, and then we will be stronger in our faith, and then we uh, will go forward. Or if we do not listen, we sin then our heart gets calloused and you don't feel the Spirit of God anymore. So the pull of the Spirit will be less uh, strong uh, in the later times. And if the more we do that, the more we will go in a deviant path. And when we suffer uh, enough, then we turn around. Okay? And uh, in verse 98, it says, Your commandments made me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever mine. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. If we obey the word of God, we can avoid many foolish things. We can be wiser than an enemy. We can defeat them. And if we obey the word of God, we have a lamp to our feet. That's a guidance for our immediate present life. And we have a light to my path, which is a guidance for long-term direction. Okay? For... Um, the word of God, guides, uh, according to Jesus, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's a guidance for our life. 
When, but when he, the Spirit of Truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. So the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he will guide us uh, in understanding all the truth. We know that Jesus himself said he did not tell us all the truth. Everything he said is true. But he didn't tell us every truth, all the truth. Why? Because it's not the time yet. Okay? And after he was resurrected and ascended, when he was given the right to sit on the right hand of, uh, of God the Father, he sent the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will uh, tell us all the truth by inspiring uh, Peter and Paul and Matthew and John, etc., etc. That's why we have the New Testament. And when the New Testament closes, we have all the necessary spiritual truth for life and for sanctification. Okay. So, um, the Word of God guides us. The Word of God judges us and disciplines us. Verse 67 says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. Sometimes the people of God do go astray, and then we suffer. That's the word of God judging us. Okay? And the, the, judge, the judging is not for hurting. The judging is for uh, restoring. That's why when God disciplines us, he brings us back so that we will observe and keep his word. Then we become a better person than before. Verse 71, it is good for me that I was afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. So after, usually this is after you have learned. You look back, you will say, well, I was really hurting. But without that discipline, I would not have understood and become a better obedient student of the word of God. So it is good that I was afflicted. When you are afflicted, you probably don't feel it. And it's okay if you don't <laughs> identify with this verse by then. But later, you will. Okay? And the Word of God judges and disciplines according to Jesus too. He said, This is the judgment that the light has come into the world, and men loving the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds will be were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. So how does the word of God uh, judges? It sheds light. It tells us what is right and what's wrong. And once we read it, we will know our actions. Are they right or wrong? And then we can decide we either come into the light or we stay in darkness. Okay? And that determines our eternal destiny, the, uh, whether or not we believe in the revelation the, the, that judges. Uh, and the Word of God not only judges, it also heals and comforts. And uh, f verse 50 to 53 said, This is my comfort in my affliction, that your word has revived me. The arrogant utterly deride me, yet I do not turn aside from your law. I have remembered your ordinances from old, O Lord, and comfort myself. Um, so the Word of God, it comforts when you suffer you probably don't feel uh, that God is good. But once you return, you have to, you know, <laughs> when you have to return, you return already, then you will understand why you shouldn't go there and why God let you suffer and why God n did not let you perish, okay, and turn you around. 
So all of these thoughts will, will become our comfort and because he revives us. And uh, the word of God comes, comforts and heals uh, according to Jesus also. In John, he said, but though he had performed so many signs before them, yet they were not believing in him. And Jesus says, well, this is fulfilling a prophecy because Isaiah prophesied that the Jewish people will be predetermined that they will not believe. Okay? Because if they believe, they will be converted and I will heal them. It is the sovereign right of God to predetermine who will believe and who will not. <laughs> because we believe because we are chosen first. Okay? And on the other hand here, if we are chosen and if we believed, will we be healed? We will. Okay? We will be healed. And uh, now it's our action. How do we love the word of God? We must love by action. Okay? Our attitude must be reflected by action. We should love the word of God by learning and meditation. Psalm 119.11 says, Your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. So remember, learn, and, and hide it in your heart. With my lips I have told of all the ordinance of your mouth. We should not only read it uh, and understand it silently, we also should read it aloud. Okay? Uh, and just reading the word aloud is actually uh, comforting. And uh, uh, it is, uh, you know, once my wife got quite depressed uh, because of certain events, and uh, she asked me to read the Bible to her. I had to read the Psalms, and I have to read it in King James Version. Other versions didn't work. Because... Yeah. <laughs> Psalms in King James is just so beautiful, okay? And it com really comforts our soul. I mean, there is something special spiritually at work when you read aloud the Word of God. Okay, that's why every time when we worship, we read some Word of God aloud. That's part of the worship, okay? And, oh, how I love your law, I send that song. It is my meditation all the day. We need to meditate it. Uh, and your commandments... Make me wiser because they are ever mine. They are ever with me. So we need to love the Word of God by learning it and meditating it. We need to love the Word of God by obedience. Jesus said, give me understand." Oh, the psalmist said, give me understanding that I may obey your law. And Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love somebody, you will not do something they don't like. Right? If you love God... You will learn of his character, his personality, his preference, his words, and his will. And you will try to conform to it by obeying his commandments. That shows that you really love God. We should love the word of God by loving others. Jesus, at the end of the book of John, he said, uh, he asked uh, Peter, Peter, I mean, Simon, son of John, do you love me? More than these, he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. You know, Peter was asked three times, and the last time I think he always, he almost cried. He said, You know I love you. Jesus, I mean, Peter is a very emotional person. And he, Jesus said to him, Peter, Ten my lambs. If we love God, we love other children of God. Oops. Um, 
my computer ran out of power, I think, because uh, I didn't put the power in there. Um, but anyway, the word of God is good. So we must love it by uh, doing some actions to it. Okay? Our love must be carried, um, well, not accomplished, accompanied by action, okay? And uh, we have, um, I guess we need to wait for the (laughs) computer. But uh, anyway, there are other things that uh, the Bible gives us in how to love the Word of God. If we cannot recover in time, you can listen to to it online. Well, it won't have it. You can get the printout. We always print out this uh, after this Sunday, next week, uh, whenever you come to church. And next Sunday, you can always print out, uh, get a printout here. Okay? And you can actually get, if you have access to Internet, you can always get it online and download it. I, I usually try to upload it uh, the next day or so. Okay? Um, the, and finally, we... There are some guidance for pr- practical gu- Bible study. Okay. Um, number one uh, is to get a good study Bible. There are many uh, good study Bibles these days. Uh, there used to be some good ones for their times, like uh, you know, Schofield Study Bible and the Ryrie Study Bible. But uh, these days, they uh, seem to be not deep enough. So I would uh, suggest, okay, love the word of God by seeking understanding, love the word of God by abhorring evil and falsehood, love the word of God by seeking a godly life. That's what's left. Love the word of God by perseverance. And the guidance, uh, I would recommend these study Bibles. The NIV study Bible, which appeared almost 30 years ago, it's very good, still very good. And it has a new um, revised version is called the Zondervan Study Bible. It is totally revised, and if you can read it through not only the text, but also the introductions and the notes, man, you're like going through the you know, seminary. It's very, very rich. And the Nelson Study Bible is just as good. It comes with the uh, New King James Version. Yeah. Uh, NIV and Zondervan are NIV. And uh, Another suggestion is to have a daily reading of the Bible. Remember, our contract, our covenant with the Lord, the blood covenant need to be renewed daily. So we need to be renewed, that, reminded that we are servants of God by reading His Word daily. Okay? So have a daily reading. If you can squeeze out enough time to read three chapters a day, you can read through the Bible in a year. Because the Bible is 1,100-something chapters. So um, three chapters a day is enough for you to read through the whole Bible in a year. If you just read one chapter a day, you read it through in three years. And you need to read through the Bible completely at least three times before you can understand the big picture. Okay? So a complete reading is necessary. Uh, if you have not read it through, you really need to. You have read through one, two times, you need to read three. If you have read through more than that, you can do more in-depth study. The in-depth study, you need to need some uh, 
uh, helping tools. I would suggest pick some good commentaries. The old commentary like Matthew Henry is still very good, and uh, a new recent one called by Warren Wiersbe, it is really, really good. I, I really suggest it. Uh, you, you get that. It's not that expensive, uh, $100, I think. It's uh, six volumes, very good. And uh, there's... Uh, th- there are good devotionals. I know many people have a, st- a habit of r- reading the Bible by a devotional. However, we need to remember that devotionals are helpers. They are not replacements of Bible studies. Devotions are people chewing on a certain uh, word of God and as a jumping board. A, the Holy Spirit leads them to think about some other related things, but not really necessarily the context. Okay. So devotions uh, are helpful. There are good devotionals. I would recommend Oswald Chambers, Mrs. Coleman, etc. Those are really good devotionals. However, um, do not let that replace our uh, study of the, of the Word itself. Okay? You don't want to chew uh, food that other people have chewed, right? <laughs> okay. Maybe not so good at... Uh, illustration, but you, you see the sense, okay? Because the nutrition is already lost. It's in them. Now, we want to get all the nutrition. We want to chew the Word of God directly, okay? Thank the Lord for giving us His Word. Okay, let us pray. Dear God, our Heavenly Father, we thank You for giving us uh, Your Word, giving us a Word in print and giving us Your Word in person. Your word is eternal. Your word is true and your word is good. Your word judges and your word heals. And we pray that by believing in your word, we shall be converted, saved, healed, and guided so that we may live a blessed and godly life so that when we see you, you shall be pleased with us. And by now, we can uh, becoming better helpers and servants of you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Please visit us at dayministry.com or ablinbible.org for more teachings in audio or visual forms, as well as other study materials. Don't forget to check us at youtube.com slash Church for our TV series. God bless you. Recreation